Baptism. What is baptism all about? Well, let's look at a typical life. Many of our lives look like this. I am the center of my life, and the different components that make up my life, family, job, school, friends, money, house, car, all revolve around me. It is my life, after all. Sometimes I bring the religion component into my life as well, and that revolves around me too. But the thing is, our relationship with Jesus was never meant to be just one piece of our lives. When we decide to follow Jesus, when we accept his invitation to become the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life, Jesus invites us to bring our whole life into our relationship with him, to follow him, not just in one component of our life, but in everything. When we are truly following Jesus, things don't revolve around us anymore. Jesus becomes the center of our lives, our family, our job, our friends, our possessions. We are now part of something that's bigger than ourselves. So what does baptism have to do with all this? Baptism is a symbol of that decision to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. That decision to go from a me-centered life to a Christ-centered life. Baptism doesn't have any supernatural power. The water isn't holy. Baptism is simply a public proclamation of what has already taken place in our hearts. Dying to our old way of life and rising to a new life in Jesus Christ. That's what baptism means. That's what we celebrate. Well, good morning. For those you've never personally met, my name is Ronnie. I'm the lead pastor here at Relevant. And you picked a great day to come because after, I don't know, 20-ish years or so of ministry, the thing that I get more questions about than any other activity that we do in the church is baptism. Like, do I need to be baptized? Why do I need to baptize? When can I baptize my kid? Can I baptize them now? Can I baptize them as babies? What if I didn't baptize them? Will they still get in if I didn't? Like, if, if I got baptized before I knew what I was doing, should I be rebaptized? Like, all kinds of different questions. Listen, whether you have been a part of your church your whole life, whether you would say, I've never really been part of a church at all, and someone dragged you here, whether you would say, I used to be part of a church, but I've disengaged, I'm trying to figure out about reengaging. Baptism is a topic that so many people are confused about. And if you've been around Relevant for any period of time, you know baptism is a really, really big deal to us. So today I want to talk about it and make sure that we're all thinking about it the same way, which is not an easy task to do because everyone has an opinion on baptism. Right? If you didn't grow up in church, never been really been a part of a church, you have an opinion on baptism. And your opinion is, it's just weird. Like, it's a weird thing. Like, why in the world are they getting fully clothed and getting in a tub in front of everybody? Like, this is weird. And you've maybe been to someone's baptism before and you showed up just you know, out of respect, not because you thought it was important or anything. You show up and the whole time you're thinking, when's lunch? And why are they in a tub in front of everybody getting dunked? You know, if you grew up in church, a part of church, when you've disengaged or church your whole life, you, you have some strong opinions about baptism. If, if you were raised Catholic, you, you were taught that baptism is necessary for salvation. If you're raised Lutheran, talk about it a little bit different, but it's definitely, you were taught it's definitely tied to salvation. And so consequently, you want to baptize your baby as absolutely fast as possible. If you're raised Baptist, 
Man, you, baptism was like the ultimate goal for everybody, and you wanted to get baptized as quick as possible so you could have the party and get all the presents, because that's what Baptists do, man, throw some big parties for baptism. If you grew up uh, being told, some of you grew up being told that baptism in a particular church was required to be a member of that particular church, so you feel like now that you're part of Relevant, you're like, shoot, i got to be rebaptized again to become part of Relevant Community Church. Some of you view baptism as completely irrelevant because you grew up in a church where you never saw any anybody get baptized and then there's those of you who only who who believe that the only way to baptize is either by immersion or by getting sprinkled and whatever side you fall on if you got baptized the other way that didn't count uh, you got to redo it and you're like all the sprinkle people you got to get it redone if you want that to count and you're like count for what you're like I don't know count for whatever it needs to count for so but here's the deal all I got to have opinions but the one thing that you got to understand is that most of our opinions on baptism were shaped by our upbringing. Most people's opinions were shaped by what we were taught growing up, by, by our upbringing, by, by the church that we were part of, not the study that we personally done, not the reading of the New Testament. Chances are your view of baptism has more to do with how you are raised than any research you have ever done on it. Consequently, when we bump up against something that we grew up being taught is right, it just creates all kind of emotions. We get all emotional about this thing. I mean, I end up talking to people all the time who are not part of any church, have no desire to be a part of a church, are not part of our church, and then they're married, and, and then they have a kid. And when they have a kid, man, they'll show up, and they'll be like, hey, can you baptize my baby? And we're like, well, why do you want us to baptize your baby? And they're like, I don't know. I just got to get them in. And they're not really sure what that means. And then people who maybe grew up Catholic or Lutheran, and, and, but now they're a part of Relevant, and, man, they're, they're growing, and they're being changed, and they're following Jesus, and they're loving it. And, and, and then they end up having a baby, and they disappear. We never see him again. And then I'll run into those people in Target. I mean, I'll run into those people at the gym. And uh, uh, I'll be like, hey, what happened? Where'd you go? And they're kind of uncomfortable. And they're like, well, we had a baby. And since you wouldn't baptize my baby, I, we had to go to a church where they'd baptize my baby. And I'm like, well, why did you need to baptize your baby? And they're like, I don't know, but I got to get him in. And whatever getting men means. And I mean, baptize, baptism is just creates all kinds of emotions. Even some of you, as I'm talking about this already, you're just super emotional sitting there and creates family fights and creates family division. I mean, that's what happened with my wife and I. She grew up Missouri Senate Lutheran, and when we had babies, when we had our kids, and her parents found out we weren't baptizing our babies, I thought they were going to steal them, and I'd have to turn them in the police. Like, this was serious. They were so mad at us. And so all of our emotions, we get all defensive about it, and, but we got to understand is most of those opinions that you have that create all those emotions, most of them are shaped by your upbringing, not any research probably that you've done in it. Unfortunately for many, it really is unfortunate. Baptism has gotten to a place that this has become this superstitious thing to get them in, whatever getting them in means, and so you're afraid of what happens if you don't do it for yourself or for your kid because then you may not get them in. Now, even though different churches baptize in different ways in, in, at different times, the one thing that every Christian church, the one thing that every Christian denomination has in common is that we all agree that baptism is really, really important. 
And the reason that we all agree on that is because of something that Jesus said that's recorded in Matthew 28. And this is actually one of Jesus' most famous, most, most well-known statements. And it just so happened to be the last thing that Jesus said before he physically left this earth. And here's, here's what, how Matthew recorded it, Matthew 28. Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples. By the way, that's what Jesus called his followers. Jesus never called his followers Christians. It's a made-up word. We can define that whatever way we want to define it. Jesus called his followers disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, of all people groups, and here's our word, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He's saying basically, go tell people about me, about my death and resurrection and what that means for them. And then whenever someone becomes one of my followers by putting their faith in me, I want them to be baptized in Father God's name, in my name, and in my spirit, the Holy Spirit's name. And you might have thought that phrase, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that was just some cool church phrase that we made up. We didn't make up that phrase. This was Jesus' formula. And this was the first and only time Jesus said this. Right before he left. The last, and he never said it before. This was the first and only time he said it. And this was a powerful statement. Because through this statement, Jesus was professing his deity one final time before he left and this was a powerful statement because it changed the meaning of baptism from that point forward. This statement from Jesus is the reason that all Christian churches uh, agree that people should be baptized. From there, though, we go a hundred different directions on when and on how, and that just created all kinds of confusion. And so uh, what I want to do today is I want to step away from what you've been told about baptism. From how you were raised. And I want to quickly show you what the New Testament writers and history teach about baptism. So I want to kind of just put on, I know it's hard, you're already emotional, put on hold like how you were raised and what you were told. And just let's look at what the New, what New Testament writers and history shows us about baptism. Because when you put these two things together, you're going to see baptism, it shouldn't be confusing. And hopefully this helps bring some clarity, helps ease some tension, helps ease some emotions. Now I realize some of this is going to be heady, right? I normally don't preach this way and it's all, it's all heady. And some of you be like, like, and so I hope you hang with me for the next few minutes, and here's why. Because if you're a follower of Christ, if you say, I have put my faith in Jesus, ask him to be the forgiver of my sins and leader of my life, Jesus says baptism is an important aspect of your journey following him. So hang with me because this is important for, for you to, in your journey of following Jesus. I also want to hang with, want you to hang with me because your confusion about baptism can create a huge false sense of security. It can create a huge false sense of hope. And I don't want that for you. And I especially don't want that for your kids. Now, I have a secret agenda that maybe is not so secret. My secret agenda today is that if you're a follower of Christ and you haven't been baptized, that you take the next step to obey Jesus and choose to be baptized. Because being a Christian by name produces nothing but dead religion. Jesus didn't call you to be a Christian. You define that. We define that whatever way we want. He called you and me to be one of his disciples. When we live as one of his disciples, that's when we experience his life-transforming and life-giving presence. Baptism is powerful for you because according to Jesus, this is one of the steps you choose to live as one of his disciples. 
So it's powerful, powerful, powerful for you. So I hope you choose to do it. But as we're going to see, this step isn't just powerful for you. It's powerful for others as well. So to begin our discussion, we need to do a little Greek. Now, for those of you who don't know, the New Testament, which are the books in the Bible that are written about and after Jesus, the New Testament was originally written to Greek, and then many, 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 many years later, it was translated into English. The English word baptize that's in our English Bibles was, was originally written as this Greek word. And the way that you say this Greek word is baptizo, baptizo, baptizo. Let's all say that together. Baptizo. Everyone's getting smarter. Everyone's learning Greek today. Now, when scholars translated the Greek New Testament into English, what they would do is a one-to-one -one translation, meaning whatever the Greek's meaning was, they would put the English equivalent's word in its place. There are a couple of words that didn't quite make the translation list all the time. And one of, these, one of those words is baptizo. In the English Bible, the word baptize is not a translation of the Greek word, but a transliteration of it. A transliteration is when you transfer each letter of a word into the equivalent letter of a different language instead of translating the entire word's meaning. So how we got the word baptize is because the scholars took the English equivalent of each of these Greek letters, uh, each Greek letter of baptizo, and they translated, transliterated them instead of translating the word's entire meaning. And when they did that, they created a new English word, the word we now know as baptize. The problem for us today is that in English, Today, the word baptize is a very, very, very religious word. It's a very, very, very theological word. But leading up to the first century, when the New Testament was written, the word baptizo, the Greek word baptizo, was not a theological word. It was not a religious word. Baptizo was, as a matter of fact, a very common word, meaning to wash, plunge, soak, or submerge. It was a common word that people used to describe when people were drowning, when ships sank, to describe a washing process. Actually, one of the, one of the earliest examples we have that's still written down is in, from 200 B.C. 200 B.C., uh, a Greek poet and uh, a physician named Nicander uh, wrote a, um, a recipe for making pickles. 200 B.C. This is 200 years before Jesus, and we have it in this, this Greek recipe for making pickles. And he says, he uses the word baptizo twice, and he says, you take, the, you take the cucumber and you baptizo it in boiling water, and then you take the cucumber and you baptizo it in vinegar. And why do you need to do that? Well, to save the cucumber, of course. No, like, that's not, it's simply meant to wash, to plunge, to soak, to, to, to sub submerge. In the English Bible, that is a translation of the Greek text, the translators sometimes translated baptizo into what it meant, wash, and sometimes they transliterated it as baptize. So it can make things a little bit confusing. I want to show you a few examples of when they translated it into wash instead of it being transliterated as baptize. Here's one example of Mark 7. When they came from the marketplace... 
uh, when they they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. The Greek word, baptizo. And you're like, well, what do you mean? They don't eat unless they get baptized? No. He's referring to the washing of hands. This is an example of when baptizo is translated instead of being transliterated. It goes on. And they observe many other transitions, such as the washing, which is a derivative of the word baptizo, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. The implication of this is when you go home, take your cups, instead of putting them in the dishwater, baptize your cups, and maybe something spiritual will happen. Of course not. That's not. The baptizo is simply a common word that when translated means to wash, to plunge, to soak, to submerge, to submerge. Let me give you another example from Luke 11. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first baptizo, did not first wash before the meal. Was he surprised that Jesus didn't get baptized before he ate? No. Just he was surprised that he didn't wash his hands, that he didn't baptizo, submerge his hands. Bottom line. Historically, the Greek word, baptizo, from which we get our English word baptize, was a very common word. There was nothing mythical about it. There was nothing theological about it. There was nothing mystical about it. Even though baptizo in our English Bibles is sometimes translated wash and sometimes transliterated baptize, the word simply means to wash, to plunge, to soak, or to submerge, which creates a question. Okay, how did this very common word start to take on a theological meaning? Like, why didn't the New Testament translators just always translate it wash, submerge? Why did they transliterate it as baptized sometimes? So let me explain how this very common word ended up taking on a theological meaning. Leading up to the first century, Gentiles, and by the way, when you see the word Gentile written in the Bible, that means anyone who wasn't a Jew. So Gentiles would many times, non-Jews would many times travel to Jerusalem, go to Jerusalem, and when they were there, they became enamored by the Jewish people. They thought the Jewish people were just amazing because this was a world of polytheism where people worship many, many, many gods, and Jewish people were the only monotheist, monotheist, the only people who worshiped one god. And so they show up in Jerusalem and see all these Jews worshiping this one god and think, man, these people are different. The, the way they worship is different. The way they live is different. And they start thinking, maybe there's something about this God, this one God that they worship, and they start asking the question like, hey, I wasn't born a Jew, but can I become Jewish? Can I become part of you and worship, worship you, your God? And so the Jewish religious leaders came up with a process through which a Gentile had to go through in order to become Jewish. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list, but here's some of the things you'd have to go through in order to become Jewish. First, got to get circumcised. So, you know, guys, which means probably most converts were women, you know, He's like, you know, the pro- you know, circumcision is when you know what it is. Uh, I would have been like, I'm out. Don't even need the rest of the list. Peace. You know. So you had to get circumcised. Second, you had to eat a covenantal meal. That was kind of reflected the essence of the Passover meal. Third, you had to submit to the law of Moses. Law of Moses are the first five books of our Old Testament. You had to do what it says. You had to memorize large portions of it. Fourth, you had to make a sacrifice. The sacrifice varied from time period to time period. And then fifth, you had to take part in a ceremonial washing. Now, this ceremonial washing, no one did this to you. You, you did this ceremonial washing to yourself. And the Greek word that the Jews used to describe this ceremonial washing was baptizo. 
This is when this common word began to take on religious and theological connotations. It began to be used to describe, the word baptizo began to be used to describe a ceremonial washing, specifically to becoming a Jew. It began to be used to represent cleansing, washing off of our old Gentileness, old way of life, old sin, and now associating ourselves with Judaism, with the God of the Jews, to identifying that you are going to live a new life as a Jew. So with that as a backdrop, in 30 AD, right before Jesus stepped onto the scene, something crazy happened. There was this weird Jewish guy named John uh, who showed up near Jerusalem and he started preaching. And the message he started preaching was, repent, repent, repent. And they're like, what else? Repent. They're like, why? He's saying, because the kingdom of heaven is near. Right, this Messiah, this Savior, this anointed one that you have been waiting for is about ready to step onto the scene. So repent and ask for forgiveness to prepare your heart to receive the Messiah when he steps onto the scene. And then John said the strangest thing. He said, hey, if you're ready to repent and you're ready to accept the Messiah when he steps onto the scene, I want you to come down to the water with me. And people just started to line up at the river. And we don't know exactly how John did what he did, but the word, the Greek word, the New Testament writers used to describe what John was doing in that river was baptizo. And all the Jews and all the Gentiles who became Jews are looking like, look at the, this is kind of like the ceremonial washing a Gentile had to go through to become Jewish, except for one big difference. John was doing the washing. John was doing the baptizoing. Ceremonial wash, ceremonially washing another person had never happened before in history. No one ever saw what John was doing ever before. John was the first one to baptizo someone else. So John got the nickname, most of you know this, John got the nickname John the Baptist. John, in Greek, baptistes. That's a derivative of our word, baptisto. And that baptistes, baptist, that word didn't exist. You will, not, the, you will only see that, that word exist in this time period in the Greek New Testament. It was not a word that existed anywhere else, which means they had to make up a word for it because they had never seen this before. They'd never seen someone washing, baptizoing someone else before. So John became known as John the Washer, John the Washerman, John the Scrubber. John the Immerser, John the Dipper, people shorten it down and just like Mr. Clean, you know. They, so what, what people were doing when they went into the river with John the Baptist is they were saying, I believe what he is saying is true and I am going to publicly associate with his message. I am publicly associated with John the Baptist's message that I have repented, the kingdom of God is near and I am ready to receive the Messiah. So one day, John's doing all the baptizo in, you know, he's just, whether he's dunking or splashing, however John did it, and he stops and he looks up on the hill and he sees a guy up there and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that Messiah guy that I've been saying is about ready to show up, there he is. And Jesus walks down the hill and he gets into the water. He walks up to John and says, John, I need you to baptizo me. John's like, whoa, 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 I'm not even worthy to tie your sandals. I can't baptize you. You, you wash me. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. It is necessary that you baptize me. Well, why? Not so Jesus can be saved. He's the son of God. Here's what Jesus knew. 
as people watched, he wanted everyone to know that he was associating himself with John the Baptist's message. So, I don't know how it happened. John lost the thumb war and ends up uh, baptizing, washing, baptizoing Jesus. From that point forward, Jesus' disciples began baptizoing other people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah and who wanted to publicly associate with Jesus. By the way, there's not one New Testament passage that ever shows that Jesus baptized anybody. His disciples baptized people that said, I, want to, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah and I want to publicly associate with him. That's how this baptism thing got launched. That's how baptizing others got started. John was the first baptizer in reference to, to, uh, to the coming of Jesus. Then Jesus' disciples began to baptize people who were publicly associated with him as the Messiah. And then right before Jesus left this earth, the last thing he said was what we looked at earlier in Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, which is a transliteration of, the derivative, of a derivative of baptizo, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, go tell people about me, about my death and resurrection and what that means for them. And whenever someone decides to become one of my followers by putting their faith in me, I want them to be baptizoed. I want them to be ceremonially washed to publicly declare that they are now associated with me. So Jesus says this, he takes off, and then when you read in the book of Acts, it's really interesting. Many, a, a few years later, some of John the Baptist's disciples are in a different part of the world, and, and, John the, and they're kind of carrying on John the Baptist's message. That, Repent, the kingdom of God is near. Repent, the kingdom of God is near. And people who uh, were believing that message, man, they were getting baptized by his disciples. Well, evidently, John's disciples had left the region before Jesus died and rose again. So they're still preparing people for the Messiah. But Jesus already died and rose again and took it off. And so Jesus' disciples are now in that part of the country, and they're listening to John the Baptist's disciples, and they're like, hey, what are you doing? And they're like, we're, we're carrying on John the Baptist's message. And they're like, yeah, but the Messiah's already showed up. And they're like, well, how do you know? And they're like, well, we saw him, a dead guy, rise from the grave. So we're assuming that's kind of who we're going with. You know, and so they got baptizoed now in Jesus' name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because they wanted now to associate with Jesus. So to sum this all up, three quick statements. Baptism is a public declaration of a new association. When you look at what the New Testament writers uh, teach and what history teaches, you see this. Baptism is a public declaration of a new association. Take it back to your history. You, you, wanted to be, you wanted to publicly associate as a Jew, you got baptizo, the ceremonially washed. You want to publicly associate with John the Baptist's message, you got baptizo, you got ceremonially washed. You want to publicly associate with Jesus and who Jesus is, you get baptizo, you, you get washed. It's, baptism is a way of saying, I am going public with my faith in Jesus, that I put my faith in him as a forgiver of my sins and leader of my life. I am publicly associating with the person of Jesus. I am publicly declaring that I am following Jesus and I am now a part of his body the church, not relevant community church or any other local church, but capital C church, every other person who's a follower of Christ. I'm a part of his family, the kingdom. This is the reason that we do it publicly on Sundays instead of in a private setting, because it's a public declaration. Secondly, baptism is a personal declaration of a new association. Got to key into this. People who got baptized in the New Testament 
decided on their own to do it. It was a choice that they personally made. It was a decision that they personally made. It was not one that was made for them. <laughs> I don't know what other way to say it. Like when you look at the New Testament and what it teaches, like that is, there's, they personally made that decision. This is the reason that's relevant why we don't baptize infants and why we, why we don't baptize children who are too young to understand what we're doing. Usually we go kind of like kindergarten, like that's kind of like our... We think you can understand at that point in time and, and up. But we want people to get baptized to look back to say, I made that personal declaration. And you need to know us. And, and listen, I know this creates tension. I told you there's all kinds of emotions based on how we're raised. I'm not picking anyone. And not, listen, if you disagree with me, it's, it's okay. You can disagree with me all day. If you feel compelled to baptize your baby, it's because you've been told that it is necessary for salvation. You're thinking, I got to do this to get them in. But you need to know two things. First, there is not one example of, in the New Testament of infant baptism. The second thing you need to know is that baptism is evidence of salvation, not a requirement for salvation. And this is where we really got to key into what the New Testament writers teach. We got to be clear. We are not saved by grace through baptism. We are not saved by grace through baptism. The New Testament writers are clear of how we're saved. Actually, this is about Paul makes it about as clear as you can make it in Ephesians 2. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved. You have been forgiven. You have been redeemed. You have been restored. You have been forever reunited with your heavenly Father through faith. Through faith in Jesus, asking to be the forgiver of your sins and lead of your life. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works, not by being a good person, not by your church attendance, not by even baptism. Why? So that no one can boast and say, I did this myself. There was something I did that saved me. New Testament writers are clear. We are saved by grace through faith and loan, not, not by faith plus anything else. And the sad thing is when we attach anything else to faith to say, you got to do this to get saved too, is it, it gives us a false sense of security. It gives us a false sense of hope. Or if we say, you do that to get saved, it gives us a false sense of security. It gives us a false sense of hope. And listen, I know when we're talking about their upbringing and the emotions that are wrapped around, around this, you go, but listen, they got to get saved or they got to do this to get the Holy Spirit or whatever they got to do. And guys, listen, we are saved by grace through faith. We can't trick God through some religion action. It's not like we can get in front of God and, and go, hey, I didn't put my faith in you, Jesus, and I didn't follow you, Jesus, so, but I got baptized, and Jesus is going, well, crap, I gotta let you in. <laughs> like, that somehow we tricked him to go, yep, shoot, I didn't want to, but you got me. You know, I mean, think about it that way, you're like, okay, there's, I need to think through this a little bit. Now, irrelevant, we baptize by immersion, because we like to make everyone feel weird. No, we baptize by immersion mainly because of what it represents of what took our place in our hearts when we put our faith in Jesus. Man, we put our faith in Jesus, we, are, we, we, we died to our old life, and we were raised to a new life in Christ. And that's why we say well, we do baptism by immersion is because it's, it's a cool represents representative of like what I call the water grave, right? You, the, the showing you died to your old life and rose to a new life in Christ. You show what happened in your heart. That being said, we don't get hung up on form. We don't get hung up on how it's done, sprinkle, immerse, spray, whatever. Like that, we don't get hung up on that. Well, we, we get hung up on timing, on when it was done. Because baptism is a public declaration of a personal decision to become a follower of of Christ. <sighs> Woo! That was fast talking. So, 
I'm going to need a nap later. <laughs> to sum all this up in one statement that hopefully everyone can remember, here it is. Baptism is a public declaration of faith in Jesus. It's evidence of salvation, not a requirement for it. I think when you put what the writers of the New Testament and what history shows us, is this is the statement. Baptism is a public declaration of faith in Jesus. It's not evidence of salvation, or it's, it's evidence of salvation, not a requirement for it. Baptism is the next step that we take to go public, that we are now associated with Jesus. That we have put our faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives. And here's what this means for all of us. If you're a follower of Christ, if you've put your faith in Jesus, so yes, I've asked him to be the forgiver of my sins and leader of my life, and you haven't been baptized, you really should take the next step to be. You should for a few reasons. First, you should because simply because you say you're a follower of Christ and Jesus commanded it, which means this is a point of obedience. This is a point of discipleship. You should, secondly, because it changes your identity. This is how you declare, I am no longer defined by my past. I am no longer defined by my sins. I am no longer defined by my failure. I am now defined by Jesus. I am now a son or daughter of the living God, and I am now a member of the body of Christ, which we call the church, now and forever. I'm a part of his kingdom. I'm a part of his family. My identity has changed. That's why you should do it, and you should also do it, is because it's transformational for you. We say all the time, man, God wants to transform us into more of who he created us to be, and that happens by one next step of obedience, following Jesus, one except obedience at a time. Baptism, it's, I mean, it's not a, it's not a kind of a down there next step. Like, it's like the first step of, 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 of following Jesus, obeying, following Jesus. And in this first step, like, there is something, it's, salvation doesn't happen through it, but there's, because it's a next step of obedience, something transformational happens through it. I think a transformation that happens in our mindset where we go from this is all about me to more about a we. Where we go this is all about me to all about God's glory. About I'm following Jesus for God's glory. So you should take this next step. Now two questions. I'm always, always, always asked. I've answered a thousand times. So I thought I'll just address the two questions here so hopefully I don't have to write as many emails. Uh, number one, do I have to be rebaptized? People ask me this all the do I have do I have to be like that's how they, do I have to be rebaptized? You know, I, I I grew up Catholic. I was baptized as a baby, and but I put my yes, I put my faith in Jesus. And do I have to be baptized? Or I was in middle school, and all the cool kids were doing it, and so I thought I'd do it because it was a cool thing to do, and I wanted to get the party and the gifts. But yeah, I didn't really know what I was doing. Do I have to be rebaptized? So, by the way, this is just the wrong question. Because you don't have to do anything. Like you, don't need to, you don't need to do this for some religious have to. The question really you should ask is, should I be baptized, rebaptized? If, you're, if you were baptized before, any, you know, as a baby, as a young person, you didn't know what you're doing, you're asking this question, like, should I be rebaptized? I just want to give you three questions that you can, based on what I said, those three statements earlier, that you can use as a filter to help you discern if you should consider being rebaptized. So you, you, go, you go pray these three questions. First one is, was it a personal decision? Like, did you personally decide to get baptized? If not, maybe you should consider it. Was it a public declaration? Like, were you publicly declaring your faith through Jesus in, in your baptism? If not, maybe you should consider re 
being rebaptized. Third, was it done as evidence of my faith or for my salvation? If it was not done of evidence of your faith in Jesus, forgiver of your sins and leader of your life, maybe you should consider being rebaptized. And listen, don't do that. Don't do anything because I'm telling you to do it. You're not here to follow me. You're here to follow Jesus. Like you, you say, you say you're a follower of Jesus. You want to follow Jesus. So go pray these questions. And if something begins to stir in your heart, if you begin to feel a prompting, like I would just take that as God's spirit prompting you. And I would go ahead and encourage you to follow the spirit's prompting. Don't do anything because I'm telling you to do it. You don't need to listen to a word I'm saying. I would go ahead and kind of heed his direction though. And why? Because you want your life to be changed. You want him to do a transforming work in you and through you. You want him to show up, so listen to him. And I know some of you are like, yeah, but you don't get my family tension that's going to happen around that, and there's going to be family tension around it, and your parents are going to think you have lost your mind, you've joined a cult, you're going to burn in hell, like they're going to think all kinds of like, and, and seriously, like you know this already for some of you, and I get that. Me and my wife went through this, the same thing as well. Here's the deal, like this is an opportunity to tell your parents, mom and dad, listen, I'm not trying to talk you into anything, I'm not here to be the authority in anything, I just want you to know my sole goal is to follow Jesus with everything that I am. That's the only goal that I have, mom and dad. That's why I'm doing this. And listen, you're going to feel that tension with them. But listen, you say you're a follower of Christ, so follow Jesus. As a follower of Christ, you follow him. You don't follow your parents as adults anyway. You follow him and what he would have for you. This is a pretty small thing in the midst of many, many other things that will be a lot harder steps to take. Here's the second question. This one's really theological. Do I have to do the video? <laughs> the Greek for video, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> the, the, a big hang up for people is that dang video. Like, People are, and by the way, like you saw it today, uh, but the video, we, you know, keep within three minutes, and it's just, it's a, hey, story of like how you ended up putting your faith in Jesus and why you're getting baptized today. That's kind of what the three-minute video is, and some go, I want to be baptized, but I'm so scared to do that video, and what you need to know is everybody is scared to do that dang video. So here's the answer to this question. Do I have to do the video? Yes, you have to do the video. Now, I know we would baptize a lot more people if we got rid of that video, You'd go, man, I'd be lining up. You'd be like John the Baptist over there. I'd be lining up. I realize we'd baptize a lot more people. The reason that we do this video is because baptism is a public declaration. And this is how you go public. Listen, don't let the video drive you off. We walk you through it. We help you on how to share and. We make you look good. Like, I know when you watch all these videos, you're like, those people look so good, I couldn't do that. Look, they do it in one take. And you know why they look so good? Because it's called editing. Like, <laughs> we edit those videos, you look amazing at the end of that video. You're like, how do they do that in one take? No one does it in one take. They usually do it in like 80 takes. And we just go, man, we do some coloring, we take away some wrinkles, lady. We make you look fantastic <laughs> in those videos. Now, here's, the, here's why this is so important. In that video, listen, guys, came to this. You will share your story in those three minutes with more people than you will ever share again for the rest of your life. 
In that three-minute video, you will share more, your story with more people in here, and if you allow us to share it on social media with more people on social media, then you will share with, with, with the number of people for the rest of your life. And there is someone who needs to hear your story. And you're like, no, my story is like everybody else's story. Exactly. That's why someone needs to hear your story. I talk to people all the time that their hearts have been changed, that they have been moved because they're like, hey, that video, that person, and they can't even remember the person's name that got baptized, like something resonated with me and God started to do a work in my life. They may not remember your name from that point forward, but they are going to remember your story when God got a hold of their heart in it. You will share your story more with people on that day than you will ever again the rest of your life. And it's not just about sharing your story with other, that many other people. Here's the deal. When we as a church, when, when we hear other people's stories, we, I'm sitting back there listening to Bria's story, I mean, and I'm getting choked up, right, going, holy cow, look at what God's done in her life, and so when we, and my faith is, I'm sitting back there listening, my faith is getting bigger, we hear each other's stories, our faith gets bigger, don't rob me of that, don't rob us of that, so yeah, you got to do the video, suck it up, all right, so here's my question for you. Oh, by the way, can you imagine if we like had people up here on a microphone instead? <laughs> like, and you, most of you would probably meet Jesus today. You'd be like, boom, I'm out, I'm done. <laughs> you know, I'd be like, I'm gonna go meet Jesus right now. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that was off track. Uh, so here's my question. If you've put your faith in Jesus but haven't been baptized since, would you take the next step to be? I hope you say yes. I hope you say yes because the transforming work that God wants to do both in you and that God wants to do through you. I hope you say yes. Everyone listen who says you're a follower of Christ. I hope you say yes because I don't want you going to the next season of your life still being a Christian by name. Be a disciple. And being a disciple saying, Jesus, whatever next step you would have me take, I will take that. The answer is yes before you even ask me. That's what disciple means. So for those of you who are ready, going, yep, i got to do it. got to take this next step. In your bulletin, when you walk in, there's a little baptism uh, uh, slip, a piece. I, why can't I say that? It's a piece of paper about baptism. You got it. Uh, in your bulletin. If you're going, I'm ready to do that, fill that out real quick. Take it in the next step area, hand it to them, and someone from our, our baptism team will begin to follow, will follow up with you, begin to journey through the process with you. If you're like, oh, shoot, I didn't get a bulletin. So, good news, we got extras of those sheets at the next step area. Just go over there and go, I'm ready to Take the next step to get baptized, and I'll have you fill it out real quick, and someone from the, from the baptism team will follow up with you and begin the, the journey with you on that. Some of you, I know you need time to think about this. You're like, not ready to do that today. You know, I need some time. i got to think through those. I'm going to pray through those filter questions. I'm going to do that. And listen, that's okay. If you come to a point where, when you come to a point you're ready, at any time, you can always go to this website, relevantcommunity.org slash baptism, and you can just real quick, just indicate on there, I'm ready to journey through this next step, and a team will follow up with you. The baptism team will follow up with you and begin journey through the process with you. Now let me say one more thing before I, I close out. I know there's some of you in this room who you're listening to me and you're like, okay, this was about baptism, but you now realize after listening, you've never put your faith in Jesus. You never asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and lead your life. And some of you, you may have even been baptized before, but you realize I've never put my faith in Jesus and I don't want you to walk out of here without giving you an opportunity to do that this morning. Because what Jesus would tell you is, hey, you need a savior. You need a forgiver. You need a redeemer. And that's why I came. That's why I died for you. 
And that's why I rose from the grave to prove that I can redeem you, that I can save you, that I can forgive you, and that I can restore you. So today, you hear, we're hearing those words from Paul from Ephesians 2, we are saved by grace through faith. If you're like, some arena began to stir inside of you to go, I think I need to put my faith in Jesus. Don't walk out before doing that. Do it right where you are, asking him to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. And then the cool thing is after you do that, you get to take an awesome next step. And you know what that step is called? Baptizo. Like, I just got done preaching a whole sermon on it. Like, you should have known that. Let, let me pray for you guys. Dear Lord, I, I, uh, I, I pray that wherever my words kind of just fell flat and didn't make sense, I pray you just speak clearly. And um, Lord, I know that this is so easy to walk out of here and like make this the main thing, and it's not. I, this, the whole main thing is following you, Jesus. So whatever happens today, I pray that when we walk out of here as people, we're just more committed to live for you, Jesus, to follow you, Jesus. And if we disagree on the whole baptism thing, so be it. I pray it doesn't divide us. I pray it doesn't stop us from following you, and I surely pray that we don't put our hope in it, but that we find our hope in you. I pray every person who feels like this is the next step they're supposed to take, that they take it. You do a transformative work in them. I pray that every single person who hasn't put their faith in you but feels like this is the time, that right where they are, they ask you to be the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life. We pray all this in Jesus' name.